This is podcast 333 for Treks in Sci-Fi on May the 29th, 2011. Welcome to the Tron cast. Okay, hello everyone. This is Rico, and today I'm doing a joint podcast, a joint Treks in Sci-Fi with my friend from the forums, Jedi Jeff from Canada. Say hello, Jeff. Greetings, programs. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Jedi Jeff here. Greetings, programs. Or should we say greetings, users, I guess. Greetings, users, I guess. Yeah. But I'll throw greetings, programs, because that's what Flynn says in the the movie, so it'll be in character, I guess. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I like both those comments. And, you know, and it, you know what I was thinking, too, as I was um, – Jeff and I, obviously, uh, I said at the very beginning of the show, uh, we're going to talk about the first Tron film today. and But I, I remember they didn't really talk that way that much in Tron Legacy, did they, really? Do you, do you, you know, that all that user and, and program talk? I don't know. It seemed like they, they dropped some of that. Yeah, that bit. was uh, they kind of dropped that. That was kind of the, one of the things that really, kind of I really liked about the original Tron um, yeah. movie. Uh, not to get too much into it, but there was yeah. kind of a correlation between the user and the program. Whereas in um, in Tron Legacy, is more you know just in that world and and the programs or, or the characters that you ran across in Tron Legacy, they didn't really have um, they didn't have a person on the outside world which uh, they represented. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely different, but we're getting yeah, probably getting a little ahead. Yeah. But I but I just thought that was um, interesting when 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 you brought that up when you said you know greetings programs. It's like uh, yeah, it just kind of reminded me, especially since uh, we we both just recently watched the first Tron again to get prepped for this podcast, and of course Tron Legacy was just out uh, like last during the holidays, right? So they're both yeah, pretty... and the DVDs just came out too, or the true Blu-ray. right? So... The, yeah, they're both pretty fresh, uh, pretty fresh in our minds. So. Uh, those little differences like that, I guess, are, uh, are you know, you kind of notice. But uh, so anyway, what we're going to do, uh, Jeff and I were trying to, you know, we were talking about doing a joint show for a little while. And uh, I think, Jeff, you had suggested to uh, to cover cover Tron, the first Tron. And uh, was that, uh, is this just uh, got a kind of a fondness in your heart? Is it is it something that you have enjoyed a lot over the years? Or what, what was uh, what was the reason to do that? I think it's one of the movies that, uh, from my um, younger years, I, I think I was. Uh, it came out in '82, so I would have been in my um, maybe early teens, possibly at that time. So it's one that uh, you know kind of comes out in that kind of golden year of golden age of when things really made an impression yeah. on a person. So I think maybe that's probably why um, 
probably oh. why I suggested it to you, Rico, is that it's one that I, I plus two, I recall it quite well because like say I've, I've watched it a few times over the years and then with Tron Legacy coming out, um, kind of brought that whole Tron up and then yeah. I was a little bit surprised that you've never actually covered it before. Actually, The first on one, yeah, the first yeah. Tron movie. Yeah, it, it was definitely, you know, the... Uh, as it as it goes, there's so many. You know, there's still a ton of stuff each week or not each week. Uh, I'm sorry, each uh, month or so when I have to update kind of the schedule and I add to it and I decide what I want to put on there. And uh, you know, it, it certainly has been one that I've been wanting to do, and uh, I, I missed a, probably another golden opportunity to do it back just before Legacy came out. But I just uh, you know haven't gotten around to it. I'm actually somebody who has a I don't know about you, but I have a, one of the DVDs that they put out, which became kind of a, a rarity. You know, they, Disney, uh, who backed this movie, you know, they they released it, I guess, on DVD. I don't know if you'd look this up, Jeff, for, to prep for the podcast or found this out, but it, it basically disappeared. In other words, you couldn't get it on DVD forever and ever. Disney kind of does that. And so, yeah. I, yeah, I have a copy on DVD of, you know, the original Tron, not from the sort of re-release they did with the, all the legacy stuff, but uh, but I'm talking about back uh, years ago I bought it. It was probably a fairly early DVD I bought even. Yeah, exactly. Disney always seems to do that with some of their movies. They put them in the, the vault, I guess, you know, their, all their classic an- animation ones like Bambi and uh, Snow White and, yeah. and all those ones. They always usually bring them out for like, you know, a few months and then they put them back in the vault. So I, like you say, Rico, I guess they, they must have done the same thing with uh, this one. I've got the, like, I'm just looking at the one I have on my table right now. I've, I have the 20th anniversary collector's edition one. So mm-hmm. this was one which came out a few years ago. So I, I wasn't uh, fortunate so that enough. must have been but, around uh, yeah. the early 2000s or so, right? Yeah. Yeah, I would say 2002, I guess. Uh, yeah, the one I've got has got like kind of a white. Uh, the the DVD case is actually white, which is a little different. You know, I don't know if I, I don't buy maybe enough Disney uh, stuff on DVD to know if they just kind of do that. You know, instead of the usual DVD box that's black, and yeah. uh, and it's got sort of a you know it's got uh, Tron and uh, what's her name inside the computer world Yori on the cover. Yori, yeah. And uh, the Cindy Morgan character, and and it's uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I think I got this actually when I joined early on when I was buying DVDs, like one of those DVD clubs. Oh, I, like if uh, I remember, Columbia House. Or yeah, something? one sure. of those places, perhaps. Yeah. It, 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 I'm trying to recall if you know if I just bought it at the store or, or how I got it. One, I think when I first got started getting DVDs, I kind of bought you know or got one of those club things just to get a few of them pretty quickly and cheaply, relatively. So. But anyway, uh, yeah, so the I remember when Legacy was coming out, though, there was uh, people that I was talking to saying, you know, that they'd never seen the first Tron movie and they couldn't get it on DVD. <laughs> so it was, uh, you know, I think Disney kind of goofed up a little bit there because I don't think that they, I think just after Legacy had come out and maybe even up to the point where they've released it on DVD, did they sort of re-release it on the original on, on, on DVD that people could buy. So yeah, uh, and I think yeah, even I was Netflix saying, for a while didn't even have it. I don't think you could even rent it off Netflix. So uh, 
Yeah, exactly. I was in the same spot, actually. I had a coworker. I was talking to him about the uh, when Tron Legacy was coming out. I was talking to him about how, how great the original Tron movie was. And he's going, yeah. He was telling me, Jeff, I, I've never actually seen all of it. I've only seen little bits and parts of it. And I was, yeah. like, uh-huh. I was quite surprised because he's like a, a, kind of the same age as I was. And I was kind of surprised that he missed it uh, when it originally came out. So it was, like you say, Rico, I say they probably should have put more um, more emphasis on... Um, getting it out there for people to see. I know sometimes up here in Canada, like say when some of these movies come out, if, uh-huh. if they're a re-release of, uh, of like say a, of original movie, like say if they've redone it or it's a... Like maybe the a, Apes movie that's coming out, right? Yeah. We're getting another Planet of the Apes this summer. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so they kind of put out the original or the other planet of the yeah, apes. they yeah. do that like i i even notice like we have you you guys have the sci-fi network in uh, america and we have a, a channel called space channel up right. here in canada and a lot of times you know like so something like the apes movies they would actually probably go and they'd put into their programming like they would start showing some of the original planet of the apes movies yeah or right the yeah, things apes like that i remember everyone ready for yeah. uh yeah like years ago when they came out with um lost in space like that lost in space movie this is years ago they were actually going and they were actually running they the ran the whole lost in episodes. space series yeah yeah just that's, to kind of get a good people. idea i mean that's that, that's certainly i don't i don't even know if uh you know they showed tron on anywhere like on on the disney channel or anything like that uh, at the time or before legacy but we're probably kind of spinning off a little too much into yeah. legacy talk but i just i just thought i would mention that just because i know but you can get it now and i did look even on amazon last night the original tron uh film you can even get it on blu-ray now and yeah I was they came to, out with this big pack like a big pack as well too of you can get, you get it tron all legacy right and yeah. the original tron on blu-ray i just got the tron legacy on blu-ray because i already had tron on um Tron on DVD, but um, yeah, I was tempted, I, I, tempted to get it on on Blu-ray maybe sometime. I know I know you could get it with Legacy when you buy bought it or or separately. But I was trying to reading reading some of the reviews. I don't know if anyone listening to the show, I'd love to hear. You know, feel free to send in a comment. You know, and I'll even play it next week on the podcast. But if anyone has gotten a hold of or has you know either through buying Legacy, but if you got a Blu-ray copy of original Tron, I'd really like be interested to know what you guys think of the quality of it. I from the bit I could read on some of the Amazon reviews, it certainly is cleaned up and, and looks a little better on Blu-ray. But there were still people, you know, in the and we'll get into this as we talk about the movie more. But it, it certainly isn't like they've really, um, you know, perfected or remastered or fixed some of the, uh, you know, the noticeable flaws and things with some of the or you know some of these effects that they did. So, yeah, and like I said, I read a little bit too as well, Rico, about it, and they like. They kind of indicated there were some things they updated. There was some stuff with the way they filmed it, which had caused some kind of inconsistencies that they were able to correct. But, um, you know, like they didn't indicate that they did a wholesale upgrade of it or not. So yeah, say, yeah. It's, it's, it's always a choice, I guess, of how much time and money that costs to, versus, uh, you know, just getting it out there too. And uh, But anyway, uh, yeah, so... What, what we're going to do, uh, just to give everyone a feel for the show a little bit, is we're going to kind of go through uh, a little bit of background on the film, the first Tron film, talk a bit about uh, where the idea came from and who worked on it in the uh, in the early stages. And obviously we'll go, we'll run through the movie. We've got clips to play. And, and then we'll also, you know, intersperse in there, talk a little bit about uh, some of the uh, production design and some of the music and things like that for this uh, really pretty groundbreaking movie for ni- 1982. I mean, when you think about this movie, 
where it's it's basically uh, people going inside the world of the computer. And this is in 1982. People, most people didn't have any kind of a computer back then. You know, computers yeah. were like maybe if you worked in some kind of high tech field, you might have something at work. Um, yeah, and they were all all like terminals as well too. Like yes, um, exactly. Yeah, just big mainframes which took up uh, you know you know floors and and buildings. It wasn't like you just hopped on and you got on the internet and checked Google out or whatever. You know, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of people. I mean, we we both I think have a feel for it, but you know, people that are younger in that, you know, this uh, I always found sound like or feel like an old guy when I talk like that. But it's like, yeah, Sonny, back in my day, we didn't have Google and we had to go to the library and stuff. But you know, it's uh, it, it's really hard. I mean, I don't know if you recall. I mean, I think. Gosh, that was probably around the time I was just about getting done with college. Yeah, and we had mainframes there. I had punch cards for for work sometimes that I had to do for uh, for for a couple of computer classes I took in college. I, I mean, it, <laughs> now they're walking around uh, on computer campuses with iPads and 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 phones in their pockets that are more powerful than those mainframes were. So exactly, I, I'm kind of like you, Rico. Like um, I'm a, a couple years younger than you, but uh, like say when I started out in computers, uh, like say I actually learned just doing like COBOL programming on on mainframes. Yep, yep, and, yep. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And uh, you know, I I think I probably first got uh, I can actually remember it pretty well because it was right around the time my my our second son was born. Eric was born was when I really got our first what I'd call real computer. I had like a Commodore before that that I used to goof around on and, and, and try stuff on and do little programs and things. But but the first sort of, uh, you know, 86-based uh, computer was around 19, I think, 1990 or 91 I got. So, and that would have been, you know, almost 10 years after Tron came out. So I'm just trying to put it a little in perspective. Yeah, when you, when you I look think at I was kind of the same with you, Rico. I think our first computer we had might have been like an AT type computer yeah. it was it was just a again just kind of a kind of a monitor like a, kind of a just monochrome kind of a or, or maybe yeah, maybe 18 or, or 16 color <laughs> yeah the good old green a, you touch this the front of the screen it had it didn't have a smooth uh, feel to it and the yep. characters are kind of green i think yep. so. yeah kind of sometimes i miss those days you know a little bit well maybe not <laughs> Yeah, and then you'd play games like uh, was there, there was that Star Trek one called Landing Party where they just put you in scenarios and then you just type in. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, well I can remember <laughs> if you want to really go back in the wayback uh, machine, but we had a uh, right at the end of high school we got some kind of a mainframe computer in the high school, and I w- I was you know obviously into Trek and technology and sci-fi, so this was like you know heaven a little bit, and I would go in even after school. And play. There was somebody had put some kind of like Star Trek game on the uh, school computer, and you couldn't do it and stuff, mess around with it during the school time. But if you came in after school, the the lady that ran the computer lab area there would let you go in, and it was like, you know, it was all text based. It was you know move ship, you know, to these coordinates, and then it was random. Like if you'd run into some Klingons or something like that, yeah. So or really kind of reminiscing and and uh, getting nostalgic. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, probably time to, you know, you know, we'll have a three-hour podcast. I tend to do this, I think, when I have guests on because it's just fun to chat about that stuff. But Yeah, uh, I guess we should get to the Yeah, we about should probably talk about Tron a little bit. So, yeah. uh, But, uh, yeah, so anyway, just the reason, I guess, to talk about some of that was just, again, to put this in perspective. You know, this movie came out 
in in 1982, not too many years after you know the the Star Wars and the Empire Strikes Back came out, you know, in the age of of computers and digital technology was certainly nowhere near the way it is now. So uh, so just kind of keep that in mind as we talk about it, and and then if you if you're someone who has not seen the movie, you know, when you watch the movie, try to keep that in mind a little bit too. And it's, uh, but I still think it's it's pretty groundbreaking, and and it really paved the way for a lot of stuff that that came. Uh, afterwards. And uh, to kind of get us going, Jeff, do you want to cover a little bit of the early production stuff? What uh, some of the guys that worked on it and and who came up with some of the ideas and and how the whole thing got started for uh, for Tron? Sure thing. Um, I guess first off, um, Tron, like uh, Rico had said, came out in 1982, actually in July 9th of 1982. Uh, just some uh, kind of details here. Domestic gross for uh, Tron was thirty-three million dollars, which uh, yeah, in today's dollars <laughs> is uh, seventy-four million. Uh, based well, that's off okay uh, then, I guess, yeah, two thousand and ten. So it was, I guess, moderately um, successful. It depends on who you talk to. Some people say that it was not a box office success, and others say it was a box office success. I guess it cost um, seventeen million dollars. Is kind of what it's reported that it cost to um, create. Though some people said it took more than twenty million. But um, yeah, so it still definitely like, made back yeah. its cost. It, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. Like saying that's domestic gross too. Like um, right, domestic gross. Um, you know, there's also worldwide gross uh, as well too. So, so like like you said, Rico, it made back its money. Um, development on it actually began in nineteen seventy six. Um, was was when they first kind of started thinking about this movie, and then I guess they went and they kind of went and pitched it to a bunch of different uh, um, movie houses at the time, like MGM and uh, yeah, right, yeah, MGM and a few other places. They they kind of oh Columbia and Warner Brothers. They pitched it to the those folks, but uh, none of them were interested in it. And then they went and they pitched it to uh, Disney. Um, they had Disney on the list originally, but they felt um, that Disney might not be interested in it because Disney is so heavy into animation that um, they thought that Disney either would feel that it wasn't in line with with the other movies yeah. that Disney was coming out with or that Disney might have already been kind of working on something. Yeah, and it, obviously it isn't one of their typical kind of Disney movies anyway when you think about it and, uh, you know, there's no Snow White or Sleeping Beauty or Pinocchio or anything. Yeah, exactly. And I guess as well, too, this um, this movie is a lot of what they call backlit animation, which isn't something that Disney was really involved in a lot in. And I guess the backlit animation was was fairly popular back in the late 70s and early 80s. Yeah, right. And we'll, we'll talk more about that. But just yeah. to keep, keep in mind, uh, a lot of people are familiar with green screen, but it, it isn't green screens. And we'll talk more about that um, later on. Yeah, exactly. And another actually interesting... Um, note uh, that I was reading there, Rico, was that this movie was actually originally supposed to be released in the spring of 1982, but then it got delayed to the summer, probably because it was such a such a overwhelming movie to work on. There was so much t- technology in it. So it got delayed to the summer, and then they felt that might have actually hurt the box office a little bit, because then it had to go up against some movies like E.T., Star Trek II, Blade Runner, Blade Runner get that out there, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Porky's oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, eight, yeah. The Friday summer of '82 was pretty was a pretty big movie year. Yeah, yeah. I, I forgot about that little factor. Yeah, people always say, "Oh, release it in the summer; it'll do better." But if you've got a lot of competition, then that may not be such a good idea. 
Yeah, especially too, you know, like, you know, because Star Trek 2 is kind of like a franchise and then you've got kind of the Spielberg star power behind the E.T. So those are a couple of real heavy hitters. And then, you know, Tron would have come in kind of being a bit of an unknown, and especially as well, too, with it being so different than what um, people would normally be be expecting and seeing a movie that it, it might have um, might have uh, maybe hurt it a bit, you know, if it's going up against those. And I guess, you know, the movie landscape back then is so much different than it is today. You know, like, say, they didn't have as many, um, right. you know, there are more movie houses more so than cineplexes that we have today where you have multiple theaters in, in one kind of movie movie building, I guess, where back then you actually went to, like, a theater, which was maybe one or two screens at, at the most. Oh, yeah, I know. When I saw, like, the original Star Wars in this pretty nice big theater in, in Michigan, I think the they only had maybe four total screens maybe in the place itself and they had like the really one major the uh screen in theater you know number 1 and then a couple other smaller ones so yeah you're right you didn't walk into places with 20 movie screens so yeah, yeah if you weren't a biggie sometimes you got pushed out that was one of the reasons why Star Wars only originally was released in 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 such a small number of theaters when it first first came out cuz there weren't as many yeah, and also too, I guess um, from generating money as well too. You know, you know some of, some of these movies, you know, they'd have long runs because they generated a lot of money. And then I guess if you're not generating a lot of money, you know, maybe your your run wouldn't be as long or be harder to get into these theaters because there was less of them. Um, even though you know, like say the movies back then, uh, maybe this is a little bit of tangent. They seem to run run longer than today. You know, today you know a big movie comes out and it's in the theater for what a month, month and a half, and then then it rolls on out. But mm-hmm. um, I guess um, the main person kind of driving behind this movie was a fellow named Steven Lisberger, um, who kind of came up with the the concept for um, for this movie. He was inspired from a, a few different areas. Um, one f- was from uh, video games um, uh, that he got kind of got ex- inspired to do this movie, and um, actually um, some from uh, some of the reading that I read uh, was actually uh, he's seen Pong and actually got (laughs) inspired from Pong and it's just like well how can you get inspired to do a movie like Tron off of Pong also too he took some inspiration from um, some other big movies of the time uh, Star Wars and Jaws um, more so in how you know they kind of pushed 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 the the limits uh, on movie making at the time you know yeah uh, I think we probably everyone knows all about Star Wars and yeah, and there's certainly – it's interesting that you say that too because of the I, – I could tell definitely by when I watched it again, you know, there's definitely some Star Wars influences in this movie. There's no question about that. There's especially some of the light cycle stuff and a few other moments where uh, where you can really see and even the music that they use in some parts. Yeah. Exactly. So that's where kind of he he got his inspiration to do this movie. From which was I found kind of interesting that uh, you know especially when you know especially with Pong hey because yeah you know, I, I'm oh, I used sure to play Pong, Pong. I, I, yeah. Pong is there's something sort of clean and kind of uh, uh, I don't know how to describe it it's sort of pure I guess in a way or clean or pure about that game I mean it's just it's just the two little paddles and the, and the little ball I mean then yeah and, exactly and, that know. was the first gaming machine that I actually ever got was. Uh, was it was a a pong machine and um uh-huh. really a, yeah a little switch to change switch between two players or uh, two players and four players or what yeah 
You can either play against the machine or you can play against someone else. Yeah. And then you could switch how many. Um, I always little, thought the uh, machine cheated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always and thought it was like the master. switch the, um, the size of your paddle, I think, too. <laughs> yeah, it was the MCP running the Pong machine because I always thought it cheated. Exactly. Exactly. It's like all of a sudden it's over there where the ball is, just surprisingly. Yeah. Yeah, it would just blip and then it'd be it's like, like ah. well, how did you do that? Yeah, I didn't even <laughs> see it move. You're just there now. Uh huh. Yeah. I guess you could blame the MCP or probably just, uh, you know, yeah. just the programming wasn't as tight back then. Yeah. So the, uh, yeah. So these, uh, this, this Steve, uh, Leisberger that, uh, you know, he had a lot of different influences. What about the, um, what about some of you said it got, eventually got at Disney and anything else, I guess we need to cover on the, on um, the production part of it before maybe we start talking about the movie itself. Did you get um, did you get anything much on on the casting? I didn't I didn't dig into that myself too much. The on casting, that. I can yeah. I can just run down the. Um, yeah, why don't you um, do that and then we'll then we'll yeah. start playing some movie clips. That'll probably be a good okay. intro for that. Okay, so the the casting uh, uh, for this um, uh, it wasn't a huge cast. Um, like I said, it was really focused on a few um, characters. Um, True. Of course, yeah. the 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 lead uh, in this was Jeff Bridges, which um, I think everyone's quite uh, familiar, and he played the lead role of Kevin Flynn, and then also right at the start of the movie he played Clue as well, which um, we all know he played Clue in the uh, Tron Legacy. Yeah, uh, some right. yep. some movies that uh, Jeff had Jeff Bridges had worked in. Um, I'm just going to he's done a lot of movies, like you know Rico, he's done tons, but I was I'll just touch on a few that. Um, are kind of genre-based ones. Okay. Uh, of course, he was in Tron Legacy. Uh, he was in the first Iron Man movie. He was in K-Pax, Starman. He did a voice in The Last Unicorn, and then he was in the 1976 version of King Kong. So he's oh, done a yeah, lot. Oh, yeah, I forgot about King Kong. That's right. I forgot how he was in that, yeah. Yeah, he's done a lot more movies, but uh, yeah, you know, ton, ton of stuff. Very good, you know. I like Jeff Bridges. I Every time I see him, he always, you know... And, you know, he just he just always seems very natural. He seems like a very natural. And, of course, he comes from a pretty uh, well-known acting family, too. Yeah, exactly. Like, say, we could have a whole podcast just talking about what he, yeah. what he did. Oh, certainly, yeah. yeah. So the next person, the next person he played um, Tron was uh, Bruce Boxleitner. And um, he's, uh, he's pretty well-known more for his uh, TV work more so than his movie work. Of course, he was in Tron Legacy as well. Um, he was also in Babylon 5. Um, and he was also in uh, The Scarecrow and Mrs. King. So uh, he's done a much more um, television work than, than movie work. Yeah, Bruce is good. I, you know, I, I, he was, I, I enjoyed Babylon 5 a lot, so I liked him in that, definitely. And, uh, and it's, it's kind of fun to see him in, the, in this, just... Uh, so much younger and but it, but you know still kind of the same Bruce guy you know <laughs> exactly he's, he's also the you know in a way he and uh, I think he and Br- Jeff Bridges both are sort of similar kind of actors and personalities you know they both sort of had that sort of you know a little bit of cockiness sometimes and just kind of you know although although the the Bruce's character has to be a little bit more of the corporate guy in Tron to a degree not not a lot but you know because of uh Kevin Flynn has sort of been this disgraced employee, which we'll talk about, you know, when we uh, talk about the movie here in a few seconds, move minutes. But yeah, yeah, exactly. He he had to play a, a bit more of a, a conservative type person in the uh, in the real world, I guess. Uh, yeah, say he was yeah was still an employee of Encom. 
I guess the next um, kind of major character in this was a lady named Cindy Morgan, who played Dr. Laura Baines. And then also she played Yori within the, the computer. Um, I was looking at what uh, she had done in the past, and she has mostly just done TV. She hasn't really done any other movies. Um, mm-hmm. She was in uh, Chips, uh, Love Boat, The Fall Guy. Vegas, uh, a show called Hawaiian Heat, which I actually remember, Amazing Stories, Matlock, and Hunter. So all pretty kind of standard kind of fare for back in the uh, 80s. Those are all kind of pretty typical, popular television programs. She was also in Caddyshack as well. And an interesting thing that I was reading up on her when I was doing some research is apparently um, without glasses or contacts, she's actually uh, legally blind. So that might be part of the reason why why maybe she hasn't done as much movies. Oh, um, okay, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't I, I didn't realize that. Or like, actually, well, maybe it sounds a little bit familiar. I don't know. But although when she's Yori in the in in the Tron world, she's she's not wearing her glasses. And you know that's funny yeah. that you say that because there's a couple of times where. I remember in the movie where they're filming it, and she looks a little like dazed, kind of looking, or, or yeah. you know what I mean. I, did you notice that at all when you were watching it again? Huh. Yeah, a little bit. So that might explain why you know she had. Uh, I thought that was acting. I guess yeah. it was just I can't see anything. Yeah, I guess can't see this this computer generated world around me. So. Yeah, and exactly. then of course we've got the bad guy, right? We've got David yeah. Warner. David right? Warner, yeah. Like say and who uh, everyone basically who who yeah. likes this kind of stuff knows David Warner, of course. Oh yeah, he's done a ton of work, and like say he played Ed Dillinger in this movie, also Sark, and then uncredited he also did the voice for the uh, Master Control Program, the MCP. Yes, and uh, of course he's got he's quite well known to the people who listen to this podcast because he's done quite a bit of Star Trek work. Yes. Yes, obviously he was the uh, uh, he was Gorkin in Star Trek Six, right? He, yeah, he, he was, was the, uh, Star Trek Five. Star Trek Five. He was uh, uh, Saint John or whatever his name is. Uh, yeah. Talbert. Yeah, I should know because I think one of my one of my characters in our little RPG was supposed to be like a descendant of his I had made. But uh, but yeah, he's uh, and he and he obviously the the one movie that I always thought that I I loved that he was in was the Time After Time movie. Yeah, with, uh, with uh, you know the the H.G. Wells story where he plays Jack the Ripper, basically. Yeah, I loved him in that. Yeah, he plays a lot of um, a lot of bad roles. He's also in uh, pla- the 2001 Planet of the Apes movie. Um, of course, oh, he was okay, right. Yeah, he was in uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation as well. He was that an interrogator that. Uh, at, um, That's right. There are Picard. four lights. Yes. There are four lights. <laughs> Uh, classic, classic stuff. So, so anyway, yeah, he's he's basically the nemesis and the bad guy in this whole thing, and and yeah. like you said, it's a it's a fairly. There's a couple other people uh, in, in the yeah, in Bernard the movie. Hughes, yeah, Bernard Hughes, who plays Doctor Walter Gibbs, yep. or Dumont, is uh, he was that older fellow who kind of um, he he was one of the people who formed the Encom. Uh, he he's also in this movie. I looked at his um, his uh, his credits. credits. Yeah, um, he was in uh, the movie The Lost Boys. He was in Doc Hollywood, and then I was going, "Where do I, where do I picture this guy? I, I've seen him somewhere else, and, and it didn't, um, didn't jump out at me." And then I was looking through the list, and he was on Blossom, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but <laughs> that's where I remember him from. Is from Blossom. That was oh, a okay. All right. sitcom from uh, back in the. Back well, isn't you watch Big Bang Theory, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that girl on there uh, is from Big uh, was on Blossom also, right? 
Amy Farrah Fowler, she yes. was Blossom. Actually. Yes, she was the Blossom or whatever yeah, her name is. My, how do you yeah. say her? How do you say her real name? Mayim Balik or something like yeah, that. Mayim Balik. Yeah, so, she has a very hard name to pronounce. I believe. I believe Barnard Hughes. He played her grandfather. Oh, okay. So I was just like, that's where I saw him. And then the other person who was in this was a fellow named Dan Shore who played Ram. Um, he was kind of the guy who was um, with uh, Flynn and Tron, like say on the light cycles mm-hmm. and then um, escaping. And he was also um, he was also played in the real world. He played he played uh, you know Alan Alan's uh, cubicle mate. He was the guy who asked for the popcorn. <laughs> oh right, okay. So just a little cameo in there. Well, and, it's, yeah, uh, it's, he, it's really fun yeah. because of the. I, I find that this movie has sort of a little bit of a Wizard of Oz sort of feel to it because of that the way they do that. Yeah, because it was basi- kind of the counterpart, yeah. Right, because basically the, these people in the real world that you meet in the first part of the movie eventually sort of have counterparts in the computer world, you know, where they're sort of kind of like they are in the real world, little or a little different, but, I mean, it's basically the same actor. So, yeah, I like I like the way they did that. And uh, we also exactly. got one other B- uh, Babylon 5 guy in this movie too, right, Peter? Yeah, Peter, Peter Jurassic. yeah. Actually, I was going to make another point about Dan Shore. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, yeah. He was in, uh, he was in actually in uh, Star Trek The Next Generation and Voyager. He played a Ferengi doctor. And remember that episode called The Price where uh, yeah. they found the wormhole and then the yeah. Ferengis uh, went, then they got tra- um, trapped on the other side of it because the wormhole had moved. Oh. He played one. He played one of the doctors. So then he appeared in Voyager playing the same character because remember those Ferengis got, um, got captured in... Um, or I shouldn't say captured, but trapped in in the whatever the Delta Quadrant or the Gamma Quadrant. Yeah. Uh, excuse me, I, I should know where Voyager uh, ended. But Delta Quadrant. Yeah. Delta Quadrant. So yeah, it was. Um, so he he was he's got kind of a Star Trek connection. And then, oh, like okay. You said, All right. As well, Peter Jurassic, who who was in Babylon Five, one of the main. He was main, Londo. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and he's he was, uh, he's Crom uh, an accounting program in this, right? Yeah, he was the the guy who. Um, Squared off against Flynn on the uh, when they were playing the um, the the ball ball the game or whatever. Yeah, the discs, or the frisbees, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, yeah. I think or was it because um, they were tossing that ball back and forth. Oh remember? yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. confused with right. They they play the uh, I think that it, what is that game kind of called in the real world like high lie or something like that. They have that big something scoopy like that, kind yeah. of uh, scoopy kind of thing they have on their hands and they yeah right the little light ball that they throw back and yeah. forth. Okay. Yep. Uh, yeah, it was an interesting cast. I I, th- I thought they all were uh, were really good, and 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 they picked some you know pretty talented. And uh, and it's always fun to me, you know, when you when you look back and you know in a movie this that's like about thirty years old almost now, and when they you see how these different actors have some have gone on and done a lot of stuff, some haven't done as much, and and things like that. And it, it's kind of fun to look at that. And uh, but let's yeah, get, exactly. Let's get right in, you know, get going on to uh, the movie itself. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, we should, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> we're like a half hour in. We'll probably be, a, you know, I'm shooting for about a 90-minute podcast probably. But if we're a little longer than that, well, I think people can handle it. Um, let me run by, down a little bit of, of giving people, if you're not familiar with this movie at all, I'll give you a little bit of background on kind of how the movie starts out and a little bit of the basics of it. Uh, it kind of starts out, I guess, at the very beginning where uh, where where Flynn, Kevin Flynn, 
and and help me out, Jeff, because I'm trying to remember how the very first part of it is. Isn't it where he's basically trying to hack into Encom? Is is that kind of the beginning? Yeah, he's of... trying to hack into Encom, and then that's where the, the clue character comes into play, the right. codified likeness utility um, program, which he's is representing him, and it's um, a hacker program. And like I say, he's kind he's trying to hack into Encom to, um, I guess, because. Uh, because there was these games which uh, he had created when he worked. Right, for, I'll get. Uh, yeah, they'll. Yeah, that. Right, that's. Uh, Space yeah. paranoids and. I've and got a, a clip on that coming up here yeah. in a few, but. Uh, yeah, he's trying to hack into it, like you say, Enrico, and then he gets kind of shut down. Yes, clue clue gets kind of taken out, and and Flynn's kind of upset because he's he's basically trying to hack into this company called Encom that he used to work for, and he got kind of run out of the company because Dillinger sort of took you know some of his creative property away and then he gets fired and, and that so uh so that's the way that the movie starts out uh, i think the first clip that i have to play uh, i labeled it called welcome friend and i think it's uh i think it's clue and, and meeting up with uh the other character that's in that cell to begin with the uh, uh not crom but ram right i believe i think you'll hear ram talking in this first clip so let me uh let me play that uh for you right now I'd say welcome, friend. But not here, not like this. I don't even know what I'm doing here. You believe in the users? Yeah, sure. If I don't have a user, then who wrote me? That's what you're doing here. Master Control Program's been snapping up all us programs who believe. If he thinks you're useful, he takes over all your functions so he gets bigger. And if he can't use you, he sends you down here to the game grid to get the bits blasted out of you. What's your name? Um, Ram. I'll train you for the games, but uh, I hope you make it. Hey, uh, what's been going on in the other sectors? You know, I've been stuck here for 200 microcycles. Oh. It's murder out there. You can't even travel around your own microcircuits without permission from Master Control Program. I mean, sending me down here to play games. Who does he calculate he is? Yeah, so that is that wasn't uh, it wasn't Clue there with uh, it was Crom, uh, right? It was right. It was. Uh, I think at this point, Clue has maybe already been taken out. And yeah, uh, he got taken out because I remember they had uh, destroyed his tank, and then he had uh, then they went and they basically derezzed him. Yes, yeah, and, and 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 you know we might as well talk about it right now. The the, the odd thing it, to me about that is the the fact that the they use obviously Clue, and they almost revolve and base the whole Tron Legacy movie around him, where he only has this pretty short you know flash in the in the first Tron movie where he's this uh, uh, program that Flynn writes to to hack into Encom. Yeah, exactly. And then, like I say, you like maybe touch a little. We'll touch a little bit more on this. But um, Clue is, uh, you know, he, he's basically got yellow highlights, um, which is a bit different than um, everyone else in the movie. And then, actually, in Tron Legacy, also Clue has also got yellow highlights. So it's a little bit of uh, continuity, I guess, between the two. But uh, yeah. yeah, like I say, he's he wasn't really in the the movie all that long. Like I say, you know, like Kevin Flynn or did have a counterpart on the other side, you know, it was clues, just wasn't a main part of the original Tron movie. 
Yeah, and and did you notice? You know, one one of the things I was trying to watch for, and I was trying to, uh, I probably I may have missed it, or perhaps, but the thing I was trying to find out or wonder about was the whole point of of what happens in Legacy, where where Flynn kind of gives Clue that uh, command of like you know make make things perfect, or how how does that go again? He, yeah, he said he basically wanted something like uh, you didn't he didn't want what happened before to happen again. So he he kind of programmed Clue like you say into to making things perfect or whatever. But you know then Clue kind of uh, you know took that you know too far I guess a little and, too yeah a little yeah. too far kind of Borgish or you know in a way like everything else you know but the uh, or everything else just falls away. But the uh, I get I guess one of the things that they did with Legacy and you know we'll go back to the to Tron here in a second. But the there's things that happen. Uh, and there's even a video on YouTube, and I think you can get this. Uh, you, it's available on your Tron Legacy discs too. But there's a there's sort of a uh, a time lag, or they they fill in the gaps a little bit. In other words, Tron Legacy doesn't pick up immediately after the first Tron movie. Other things happen, and then it, it you know obviously without giving too much away uh, already. Are you you know people probably a lot of them have seen the movie anyway. But it, you know Kevin Flynn does get back out of the computer world. But then at the beginning of Legacy, he's he you know it's discovered that he actually goes back in at some point. So we're yeah getting ahead like of saying, ourselves, but yeah, like you were saying, Rico, there's uh you know like say a, a, an extra which has like it's like a five or six minute type uh, little video which to kind, kind of fill ex- it in right fill yeah, in the gap fills in the, yeah in between uh, Tron yeah. and and Tron Legacy and all that had so happened. So I guess some of the stuff with Clue and things you you could say kind of happened without us really seeing it. You know, they decided you know that's you know that it since he's such a fairly quick minor spot in in the first Tron movie, they kind of took exactly. that and ran with it in a certain direction. So, but anyway, I back- see as well because like we were talking before, you know, everyone seems to have you know a counterpart in the computer world. So right. So I guess in a sense, Kevin Flynn needed a counterpart in the in the computer world, which was Clue or exactly clue. at least before right he has clue for the first few minutes of the movie where he's trying to hack in and then yeah. here here shortly here with a couple more clips to play to get to that point but but then eventually flynn became becomes him his own alter ego he you know he gets yeah he's a user in the, right. in the program's world right well let me play uh our next clip here the next clip introduces the character of uh mr dillinger who is the you know the David Warner character, the kind of the bad guy, and I believe this is when he's in his office and he's kind of talking to uh, the master control program. One of the things, well, I think I'll leave my comments after we're uh, until after I play the clip, but I was uh, I like this scene quite a bit, and uh, I'll play it for you uh, right now. Hello, Mr. Dillinger. Thanks for coming back early. No problem, Master C. If you've seen one consumer electronics show, you've seen them all. What's up? It's your friend. The boy detective, he's nosing around again. Flynn? Yes. It felt like Flynn. You're still looking for that old file. Can't you just appropriate it? I have. I put it in my memory, which he hasn't located. But he might find it. I'm afraid so. I spotted him this time and kept him out. But he's getting trickier all the time. I think we should shut down all access until we find that Flynn, just to be safe. There's a 68.71% chance you're right. Cute. End of line. Yeah, so that that's obviously, you know, between uh, the master control program who has this sort of, like, obviously, you know, superior personality. I like his attitude and 
and that, and then, then between Dillinger, who's in the real world and is kind of the head of, I guess, more or less the head of NCOM at this point. Uh, the uh, the thing that I was going to comment about, about on that, Jeff, on that scene was was Dillinger's desk in this movie, his his office desk. Did you notice how much that looks like a big old iPad? <laughs> yeah, or, it does. Or, he's can kind of type on it. and uh, Yeah, it has and, a virtual keyboard. Yeah, it has a keyboard that just pops up and he just taps the screen. And, and and then words appear, you know, and stuff, and, and it's it's super high tech looking for 1982, and and it looks either like a big super big iPad to me, or that Microsoft Surface thing that they've uh, oh you know, they've yeah been working exactly on. they were pushing a few years back right where where he just has this nice little gloss black uh, surface of this desk that he just brings up whatever control interface or 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 words or, or a virtual keyboard that he needs and then just taps, taps, taps and gets what he wants. I, I just thought it was pretty cool. And it, it's so different than uh, so much of the other tech in the movie. It's like, wow, I like that. Yeah, exactly. Know? It's pretty cool. Like, that's pretty cool tech. Also, it was interesting about the MCP. Um, like they were saying, you know, the MCP kind of went a little bit rogue, I guess, yes. which uh, Dillinger <laughs> was a little worried about uh, because he started hacking into like the the Pentagon and right, he's like, oh, what are you going to do next? I'm going to hack yeah. into the Pentagon. Oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Now. And then the Kremlin, and then he's, yeah. I'm going to cause all sorts of problems. And uh, it's like he's bored then, with the 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 whatever else he's been hacking into yeah. and accounting because it started out as a what what did they say a chess program? So yeah, yeah, but yeah. he he becomes it's the classic you know story or the classic case of this. Uh, this computer becoming more and more uh, sentient in a way or more powerful as it goes and the more it learns or, or it starts to be able to learn and adapt and, 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 and grow and become more powerful. And then, of course, the, the, another sort of classic case is, you know, the, the, you know, the David Warner, Ed, Ed Dillinger character be, basically starts to pretty quickly realize, hmm, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> like, but then he's being uh, blackmailed because of the, the items that uh, had uh, he had stolen were all the right. uh, intellectual which, property he had stolen, stolen from uh, Kevin Flynn and said it was a his good, own. Which uh, is a good setup for my next clip. The uh, the next clip I'm going to play is going to explain that uh, where kind of wonderkind uh, computer uh, genius Kevin Flynn talks about. He talks to his friends uh, in in the Alan and uh, Laura in the in the real world about uh, you know why he's been kind of digging around and, and trying to hack into NCOM. So listen to uh, listen to this clip, and we'll be right back. Okay. Sherman, set the Wayback Machine for three years ago. Kevin Flynn, one of NCOM's brightest young software engineers. He's so bright, as a matter of fact, that he starts going in at night, sets up his own private memory file, and begins writing a program for a video game he's invented called... Space Paranoids. You invented Space Paranoids? Paranoids, Matrix Blaster, Vice Squad, a whole slew of them. I was this close to starting my own little enterprise, man. But, enter another software engineer. Not so young, not so bright, but very, very sneaky. Ed Dillinger. So when that our boy Flynn, he goes to his terminal, tries to read up his file, I get nothing on there. It's a big blank. All right, now we take you three months later. Dillinger presents Ancom with five video games that <laughs> he's invented. The slime didn't even change the names, man. He gets a big fat promotion. And thus begins his meteoric rise to what is he now? Executive VP? Senior exec. Senior exec? 
Meanwhile, the kids are putting eight million quarters a week into paranoid machines. I don't see a dime except what I squeeze out of here. I still don't understand why you want to break into the system. Because, man, somewhere in one of these memories is the evidence. If I got in far enough, I could reconstruct it. My password, Dillinger's instructions to divert the data, the it's whole show. It's too late for that. Dillinger's cut off everybody with Group 7 access. Wait, 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 wait. What are you, what are you saying, man? The guy knows what you're up to. Okay. You're kidding me. <laughs> well, now there is nothing to stop him. Now it's just Dillinger and the MCP running things from on high, man. Not if my Tron program was running. That shut the system down. Yeah, so obviously there that gives you the uh, little bit of uh, background and, and on Kevin Flynn and why he's so pretty much pissed off <laughs> at NCOM yeah. and, and Dillinger. Yeah, he plays that pretty well. Uh, yeah, I Jeff think so. Is, definitely. Comes off comes off well um it's kind of a little interesting thing um the group seven access that um diligent had um had turned off that was uh, i was just doing a little research and i guess um that's pro i guess there's different levels of access and that was access for programmers so like say it turned off access so uh group seven access after uh flynn had tried to hack into the uh into the computer and then he kind of basically shut off um all the other programmers in um in NCOM after, so I guess that's why uh, you know, like Alan and um, and Doctor Laura there were were kind of uh, upset as well too because yeah. they couldn't do their work anymore. Right, right, exactly. And and then the funny thing is, is the is the way they get in is they go they kind of don't they basically go down to Group Six access. It's like yeah, <laughs> well we can't get in under seven, so let's just go back to six and. Uh, which, which for that good old MCP, I think is a little, you know, you know, it's it, it, it's one of those things like in all movies have to a degree of of you got to kind of just sort of go, well, all right, you know, they tried to keep them out, but if they if they were really that good and kept them out completely, then you wouldn't have a story in a movie, of course. So exactly, you know, exactly. you have to put a little barrier up, but you can't make the barrier so impossible because uh, then you know. You or know. Dillinger could have just went and deleted the file as well on the computer. Yeah, and I'm 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 pretty actually. There aren't really that many things in this movie overall uh, that that really at all bother me, and even that doesn't bother me because the big the big hook is or the big difference and the big advantage of the, all of this is that you know the fact that Flynn worked on all this stuff. In other words, he he knows the ins and outs, and, and it's like basically. It's like basically he's a builder of this, you know, super fortress place and and somebody, you know, takes control of it and, and tries to lock all the doors, except he put a few little secret doors, you know, in place that he could get into. So exactly. Uh, exactly. So that that's, that's that works for me. No problem. It's not like there's just this like amazing computer hacker that out there in the world that that just somehow stumbles across these these doors like uh have happened in uh like playstation network lately <laughs> it's uh, yeah you know i think they need a tron program or something to keep keep the bad guys out but uh but anyway the the other little side thing that's going on and i didn't grab a clip from it uh or actually uh i don't i think we're going to slip past that part but we'll just keep the story going is that the the laura baines is working on with this um the, the this guy named Walter Gibbs, the other doctor played by Bernard Hughes, they've got this uh, laser thing that they're working on, and, and I 
can you explain to me what that's supposed to really do, uh, Jeff? I mean, were they looking to digitize? Like when you first see it in the movie, they're trying, they, they're working on like an orange, I think, and they digitize it in sort of uh, a real orange. They digitize it and then make a sort of a computer generated version of it that's, that's like super accurate, but it actually takes the real orange, goes away and disappears. Did, did you get anything more out of how this works or why they're doing it or any of that? That was pretty much how I got out of it. They're yeah. basically okay. trying to digitize it. Maybe something they might have been using it, maybe similar to a transporter, maybe they, to push it to maybe they could move pe- people or, or items from yeah. one place to another. Or was it a way to just sort of like they do with uh, computer modeling and things these days where, where they were just trying to create the most accurate like computer representation of some any object possibly, something like that, and the laser could, you know, look dimensionally at it and, and perfectly replicate it that way. Except the trick is, is instead of like in a computer model and laser situation, like would normally happen where it's just taking readings and things, this actually like digitizes the item itself. <laughs> it, you know, it it's gone then. So um, yeah, I, I kind of, I kind of got that out of it as well too. There wasn't a lot of they didn't explain it a lot. It's a few yeah, minutes of the it, movie. Or they did. Uh, I just didn't uh, didn't didn't understand it as well. But and I kind of got those... that they're digitizing it to yeah. maybe recreate it later or or take something and move it from one spot to another. Yeah, it's not like an accident. They actually have this equipment, but the the sort of accident that happens or something. It's not really accidental. But what does eventually happen? They break into Encom to move the story uh, along. The three of them: uh, Alan, uh, Laura, and uh, Flynn. And then they once they're there, they go to this terminal that's near this laser thing machine, and Flynn is then trying to hack back into the system. And uh, the MCP uh, comes on, and I think this is setting up the next clip that I have to play. And it just happens that Flynn's there working on this terminal that's right by where the laser is. And so the MCP, that's when uh, the MCP zaps Flynn and... and and that's how it really gets gets the whole movie going, where it zaps Flynn and pulls him into the computer-generated world. So listen to uh, listen to that clip. Some of this isn't. There's not a lot of dialogue, I think, in this clip. You'll but you'll you'll know what's going on, if, especially if you've seen the movie before. How are you going to run the universe if you can't even answer a few unsolvable problems? Huh? Come on, big fella. Let's see what you got. I'd like to go against you and see what you're made of. You know, you don't look a thing like your pictures. I'm warning you. You're entering a big era, Flynn. I'm gonna have to put you on the game, Brent. Game? You want games? I'll give you Yeah, all right. So that's uh, in a pretty f- cool sequence. I thought that's how they get Flynn. They, you know, the MCP basically zaps him with the laser because he wants to uh, he wants to bring him into his world so he can fight with him and and put him in the games and all that. Yeah, I thought it was a, actually I thought it was a really cool effect for the time. Like say something that I, I'm not sure I'd really ever seen before. Then like say oh they just kind of 
you know, digitally broke down Flynn and, uh, you know, transported him into the, into the world, you know, as they started off, you know, just zapping each one of the little fingers and then you yeah, started working exactly. his way down right. and, and taking, taking the whole, uh, bit, taking all of them. Bit and, by bit. Yeah. 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 So he's, um, rather than just sort of making a copy of him, he, he's pulled, literally pulled into the, into the computer world itself. And, uh, at first he's, he's pretty, uh, disoriented, but he pretty, pretty much quickly figures out what's, what's going on and, uh, and adapts. And of course, being, you know, the fact that he was a programmer and he, he knows a lot of this stuff, it gives him a bit of an advantage inside the, the, uh, the, the computer world. Do you want to talk now, Jeff, do you want to bring up some of the effects who worked on them? Some of the, some of the, uh, the, you know, they had some pretty big names that, uh, worked on some of uh, the designs for this movie, you know, some of the production design and that. So, yeah, why don't you go through that? Because th- at that point, it, you know, the movie for the pretty much the rest of the film takes place in the in the uh, computer world. Okay, I can talk a little bit about that. Um, I guess maybe the, the first kind of interesting thing about uh, this movie was, in a sense, was that um, for being a computer movie and kind of um, pushing uh, computer graphics ahead, um, there actually wasn't a lot of computer graphics in this movie. There's only what they said, 15 to 20 minutes worth of uh, computer graphics in this movie. Actually, a lot of it ended up being animation. Actually, right. um, one of the things was they actually ha- they went to four different companies actually to do the um, animation on this uh, on this movie. So they they went to four different companies and then they gave them different pieces of work. Um, uh, the four different companies were called. One was called Digital Effects Incorporated. Um, they handled um, this little bit character, which appears in the movie from to time to time, which um, basically yeah. is a yes or no type character. Yeah. Um, then they there was another company called Robert Abel and Associates, and uh, they handled the opening sequence, and they also just handled that um, clip that we played, the um, the clip where uh, Flynn got uh, zapped into the computer or. or um, reduced down to bits and, and moved into the computer. Then there was another company called Magi. They worked on the the first part of of the movie uh, in the computer. So they worked a lot on the game grid stuff with the tanks, the light cycles, and the recognizers. And then um, there was another company called Triple uh, I or Information International Incorporated, and they worked on a lot of the second half of the movie, which included um, some scenes with the MCP. And the Solar Sailor, so um, okay. so, so so they kind of moved the work around, which kind of makes sense because I guess if you got a movie and you got some deadlines, um, you know, four different people working on stuff at the same time. Yeah, a little a little unusual too. I mean, most most movies certainly don't do that kind of thing. You know, they 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 will, you know, have one effects house or something like that, maybe two or something, but not four, you know, or more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, but I guess like nowadays, you know, it, it's more common that this 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 type of work is done in movies, so they're they're more set up for it. Back then, it wasn't so much the um, the case, I guess. They, like say they, um, you know, like since this was all new, I guess you know maybe it wasn't possible for one uh, company to kind of uh, take it all on. So yeah, uh, yeah, it was a very early early days. Did you have some some stuff too on uh, the? The designers themselves, sure. like uh, Sid Mead, I think worked on this, right? And yeah, Sid Mead uh, worked on this, who was uh, from Blade Runner fame. Yeah. Also, too, um, there was a fellow named um, Jean Giraud. It looks like a French person, French comic book artist. 
um, also known as um, Mobius. He also worked on this uh, this movie. He worked on kind of some of the set and costume design, some of the store or storyboarding um, um, things. Like say the the vehicle designs were um, done like like you're saying, uh, Rico by a uh, by Sid, Sidney. right? Yeah, yeah. And then um, there's a fellow named Peter Lloyd. Uh, who was a kind of a commercial artist, and he kind of designed some of the the environments. So I, I guess, like, say this Morbius or this Mobius guy did the, the kind of the storyboarding, and then um, Sid Mead did the the kind of the ships, and then uh, Peter Lloyd worked on the you know kind of the design, and and then they they all kind of worked together. So it was helped kind of bring a nice kind of um, I guess look to this movie or a different look to this movie. Yeah. I guess we'll probably talk a little bit about the filming stuff a little in a little bit. I guess. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, we can hold off on the yeah on, on the the character filming and how they did that and and things here. For, we'll play a couple more clips and then talk about that. I think. Yeah, the yeah, I, I love the designs. I think Sid Mead, especially some of the vehicles and things in this movie, are are pretty pretty cool. And especially when you think about somebody came to him and said, "Hey." We're doing this world or this movie with part of it set in the world of the computer. Why don't you develop some vehicles in there? You know, it's like, okay, you know, I mean, they, they, you know, uh, you know, we got these uh, like cycles that are on, you know, beams of light that travel around. Why don't you design something? You know, it kind of re- really have to be imaginative, and I, you know, it and it works, I think, too, for the movie. I think so too. And, and another kind of thing about this movie is it looks a lot different than other movies. And and to be honest, I like say. Maybe maybe there's other movies with you know similar looks to it. I, uh, I haven't seen, but for the most part, you know, you haven't really seen this type of work in other movies. So it's quite unique to these Tron movies. You know what they've they've kind of built here. Yes, yeah, definitely, and uh, and I think even though it's it's certainly the effects have vastly increased and improved with Legacy, uh, the there's definitely a similar feel to both both movies. And and you'll yeah. if you've not seen the first one, you know that's one one of the things where one of the reasons this whole podcast is is getting put out there you should definitely see it because you, you you know people will say oh those things look kind of funny from 20 30 years ago or whatever but but they're you know they're they're similarities you know in a way and it's it's also kind of uh i kind of like it in, in you know in, in the fact that it looks more you know kind of stark and 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 a little more uh you know Techie? Yeah. I don't know. That's probably not yeah. the right word, but you know what I, was, I mean. It's it's almost yeah. more clean looking than kind of what they did with Legacy. I mean, I loved Legacy. Yeah. I thought that was cool too. But I, there's something kind of about this, like you said, you haven't really seen this kind of stuff before. I guess another thing too, I was reading a little bit of it is maybe was kind of unintentional the the starkness of it because apparently the computer that they used to generate some of these effects um, back in the day, I guess apparently the computer they used had. Two megabytes of memory and three hundred megabytes of storage. So I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think of, I read uh, that too. Yeah, yeah. The, the, it was yeah. like, oh my gosh, you know. I mean, yeah. there there are again like you know little handheld devices around with with more than that. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, so I think that led to some of the I I, I guess some of the maybe a horizon or, or background um, they couldn't get as um, detailed on, so they went with more of a clean look, like yeah. you're talking about Rico, which I think because every element maybe wasn't their intention. But I think it worked out. Yeah, I mean, all, all every little element takes storage, takes memory, takes computer power. So the the more they can clean it up, you know, the 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 less that will tax their you know limited machines at the time. So let's play uh, another clip. The next one I've got for you to listen to. This one is uh, you know Flynn makes his way. He's he's there. He's he's 
pushed around by these. I don't know if they have a name for those guards that are kind of in red that are always pushing them around all the different places. They kind of have little kind of hoods on. Don't don't most of them have kind of a? Did they have names for those guys, Jeff? Um, I don't they know. May if, have Rico. I, I think they might have, but uh, like I said, I'm kind of like you. I they weren't like you know. I mean, like in stormtroopers and you know in Star Wars. I I don't remember. I was trying to think of, but they you know they have these basically like guards. We'll just call them guards or computer guards, but. And then Flynn gets eventually he gets put into the cells uh, where they're holding these uh, these programs that the MCP has you know appropriated, and uh, they think Flynn is just another one of those, and that's where they hold these programs kind of in storage until they want to use them in these games or whatever other things the MCP needs them for. And then this next clip is uh, when Flynn meets up with Tron. So uh, listen to this, and we'll be right back. This is the holding area for the light cycles. Hey, Flynn, you made it. Wait here. You won. Alan. Where did you hear that name? Well, that's your name, isn't it? The name of my user. How did you know? I'm a program from a user that knows Alan. He was disoriented in transport, Tron. Yeah, but I'm remembering all kinds of stuff. Like my user wants me to go after the MCP. My user wants that, too. I know. Yeah, so at this uh, at this part of the movie, Flynn is sort of playing the part of a program. You know, he's trying to kind of, I guess, maybe blend in and not shock them too much <laughs> yeah i don't think he wants to raise any real eyebrows yet and let everyone yeah. know that he's a, a user i just did some checking i think they just refer to those um those guards as just soldiers or okay. warriors so okay. nothing nothing special uh the um, special and at this point and and it comes it'll come up a little bit more in the next few clips too but th- this is one of the things that i i find interesting about this movie that uh i i you know i've read some people talking about this but there is sort of a religious, in a way, maybe that, yeah, I, I guess we'll call it that for lack of a better word, but a sort of a religious aspect to this movie in a way that these programs sort of revere their users as almost like gods, basically, right? So so then uh, the the idea that, you know, when especially when Flynn starts letting people know that he can do certain things inside their world, almost godlike to them, you know, and... And so I, I I like that little bit of an aspect of the this movie where the programs seem pretty subservient to their you know their masters their programs I'm sorry their uh, their users users yes yeah. right <laughs> yeah exactly Rico it does it kind of plays out a little later in the movie as well too like say yeah. with the some of the the scenes yeah um, but like like you say you know every time they bring up a, a user like say the programs seem like I say, they seem a little bit like in awe, kind of yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I, I like that, and it it, it, it kind of works too. I think it works pretty good. They don't overdo it. It's not like it's you see scenes of you know Flynn and everyone bowing down. Although you start to see that, and that does happen kind of in Legacy a little bit. So uh, I guess yeah. they do pick up on that with Clue and and, and controlling the world and all. Um, but there's a yeah, there's a and then we we talked about this at the very you know early part of the podcast. But the whole user and program the way they speak like that. Uh, I, I enjoy that. That's, uh, you know, I, I like the fact that they kind of keep that going in this movie. Exactly. Exactly. I like as well too, like you say, there's kind of that kind of almost like a, 
kind of a religious aspect to it, but they don't seem to really push any particular religion or anything on you. They just kind of, like you say, they're just indicating, you know, that, that, um, program see the the users as, as some sort of higher higher being i guess in a sense yeah yeah obviously that's they feel that they've uh owe them everything in a way and and uh and that's that's where that you know they would be nowhere they wouldn't have been created uh without their uh their users so and then uh, what happens in the next bits of the movie i'm, I'm gonna skip a bit uh skip over and, and maybe not even play there's a couple of clips i i gathered that i may at least one i'm probably gonna skip over there's a scene where um, Tron meets up with Yori, who is the the Cindy Morgan in the Computer World character, uh, and you find out they sort of, you know, maybe these two uh, these two programs like each other a little bit. <laughs> yeah, actually, um, actually, it's kind of interesting. Uh, um, there's actually a, a deleted scene um, from this movie where actually uh, Tron oh, okay. and Yori actually um, kind of. Uh, do the they, digital they, dance? <laughs> yeah, kind of the digital dance to put it. Uh, I like that. It's, it's pretty tame stuff, but I guess back in the and it was in the cut till near the end because it actually got scored and and all that oh, okay. kind of stuff. It was in the cut where you know, kind of um, Yori takes Tron back to her quarters and you know, and they kind of um, make out. It's pretty tame stuff in today's standards, but I guess back back then Disney felt it was for a little a Disney, too risky for a Disney movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's interesting. I didn't. Uh, I, I didn't have a chance to dig into. I didn't know how many, or if they had a whole lot of deleted stuff from this movie. But that's yeah. interesting. I'll, I'll see if I can find the uh, the the link for you there, Rico. But uh, but anyway, the, the, there's a few other pretty uh, spectacular scenes that happen that I didn't grab clips for because they're kind of basically action pieces. You know, there's a light cycle uh, battle that takes place. Uh, I guess it's what Tron Flynn. And that other guy who, who I Ram, yeah. Ram, right? Ram, yeah. uh, basically going out at it on these light cycles, uh, which again at the time looked pretty, pretty cool and pretty spectacular. Of course, they souped them up quite a bit for uh, for Tron Legacy, but it, in in this movie, they're 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 pretty neat, and 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 it's um, it's fun to watch that stuff even now. I I found, and I wanted to. I guess probably now, Jeff would be a good time to maybe just talk about some of. Uh, some of these effects, how they actually did some of this stuff on the on the stage uh, with this backlighting, and if you want to talk a little bit too about the uh, the color changes for the different, you know, okay. they each have this coloring about them, and uh, yeah, go ahead and uh, and then we'll okay. get into a couple more clips. Okay, I guess you know the first thing about the coloring, I guess the the interesting thing is they they start off the the movie. And the idea was that kind of the um, the free programs or the benevolent programs, which were in um, in the world, they were going to be a yellow color, and that's kind of why we saw a clue at the start of the movie, kind of with the the yellow highlights. Um, yeah. And like say talking about these characters, when we talk about their colors, it's like they're all kind of got this kind of monochrome look to them, but um, then they've got kind of this neon type kind of color on their yeah costumes, which. Uh, which help indicate what what type of um, program they kind are. Kind of the good guys and the bad guys a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the the programs which are kind of uh, under the the rule of the MCP. Um, I guess originally the idea was this, that they were going to be blue, but then into production they kind of um, changed their minds on that, and they decided that the kind of the free programs were going to be be the blue color, and then that the MCP controlled programs or the bad guys, I guess, were going to be the 
the red colors. Right, right. And they didn't go back and, and correct some of the uh, the work that they had done earlier. So things like the light cycles, um, what we saw was uh, red, gold, and yellow, I believe, was um, yeah, what, I think uh, so. Tron and yep. Flynn and, and Ram had. And then the, the MCP uh, ones under the control of Sark, uh, they were blue. So that kind of went against the uh, kind of the dynamic of the movie. Yeah, uh, so that's interesting to note the yeah. I definitely, I definitely noticed that when I was watching it again. You know that I was like going, okay, I know that the the color coordinated is supposed to clue you in on like who's what because some of the movie, you you know you're, it's not always easy to see who's who. You know you're just seeing their face and then they're covered in this suit and all. So I think they did the coloring to kind of clue you in real quick who was what, especially when it wasn't like either Flynn or maybe Tron. And then when they, yeah, when they were in the light cycles, especially, it just went like, oh, well, how come they're yellow now and not blue anymore? Right. And then they, like you said, they, they did some effects, then they changed their mind on the coloring, then they went back and, and, you know, that would be something that maybe some, who knows, maybe someday they could go back and, and fix that, you know, in some kind of remastering. Yeah. Like say today, it'd probably be easy to go back and fix that. But back then, I think too, like we we're talking about the, a lot of this was animated. So I think a lot of too... Um, required, uh, you know, like maybe painting or, or things like that, or even some of the shots, which would have probably cost a lot of money to go back and, and kind of recompose or recompile those well, shots. Or- well, it's interesting you say the animated thing too, because I'm I, 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 not sure if you exactly mentioned this when you were talking about some of the early, early production stuff, but this movie was originally supposed to be basically an animated movie, almost completely, with maybe yeah. some just live action at the very beginning and the very end of it. That, you know, the the time where they're inside the computer world was supposed to be a completely animated uh, situation. And then they decided that they didn't want, that's not what they wanted to do. Uh, I, I'm not exactly sure the reasons behind that. I think that it's much more interesting when you actually have real, you know, actors and people in there the way they did I it think for this. Maybe, but. Rico, that Disney might have wanted that, I think. Because, like you said, they 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 were just going to do live action, and then they were just going to do animation within the, oh, the movie. Okay. And I think maybe Disney maybe said, "Hey, let's try doing uh, it basically all gonna, animated, yeah." Or let's try doing some live action on top of the animation. Oh, so, I see. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but the animation, like say, a lot of the the scenes, um, they ended up animating like I, like I was saying before actually there's only 15 to 20 minutes of actually right computer. and that would be scenes like where yeah. you just see the light cycle zipping along or, yeah. or, or the or the you know the that solar sailor right I was gonna say the solar sailor or that there's that um, Sark's uh, his little battleship or whatever it's called uh, his yeah, command that big, uh, ship. Kind of- carrier that <laughs> I was you know it was funny when they kept showing that it was like the same little sequence of like f- five or ten seconds of, of him of that ship just kind of moving every once in a while in the movie you know they'd slide that little oh here's Sark and his battleship and it would be a way to sort of separate it and then they would go to him talking to one of his yeah. his goons or whatever and, yeah uh, it was a nice scene like they <laughs> always did back in those days you know same thing like on the original Battlestar Galactica oh yeah there's the battle start. Yep. And they just kept on throwing them in. Here's Galactica episode. again, and they zoom in on the word Galactica so you know, oh, yeah. there's the Galactica. Yeah, yeah, it's the same shot of, you know, like the, the Vipers or their yeah. Cylon Raiders rolling in. Always yeah. the same one. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was kind of um, it was kind of interesting. So like the they went and they did a lot of this what backlit animation, which um I guess apparently I think they filmed it a bit in black and white, the um the characters, and then they were wearing black and white um 
clothing. costumes yeah. against a black background. Right. And then went in and kind of painted in the... And were able the, to color right uh, on them later, right? And that's yeah, why exactly. that, there's a lot of flickering. That's why you'll see in this movie because of those the black on black kind of way they did it, I think. You'll see some of the border and, and, and the flickering that happens sometimes when yeah. they move. Yeah. So that was kind of interesting. That was interesting as well. I was reading a little bit. I don't understand a lot about the filming process, but I guess they had to use some special type of film to actually film the um, those film scenes. It. They had to right. use kind of a large format, high contrast film to to kind of uh, capture it. And then I guess apparently they got some special film from Kodak and it was supposed to be numbered. So they kind of keep a consistent feel throughout the movie. But then I guess some of the numbering got moved around. So, um, Mm -hmm. so then, then kind of the, uh, the look of the film kind of changed at times because it went to different, um, well, those, you know, back in the day of, of chemical, you know, chemically processing film, I can definitely understand that from a, from you know some of my chemical background yeah they were you know they would use these lots of film and if it was slightly different you know it would expose a little different so that the lightness and the brightness of different scenes and stuff would change because yeah and then i I, so they kind of worked around that was that they kind of added in little like kind of sounds or something like that to kind of give like a maybe a little malfunctioning kind of uh feel like when Yep. kind of switch between that so i guess apparently like we were talking earlier like with the blu-ray that was something that they actually kind of went back and kind of corrected collect we're able to you know correct the the lightness yeah. and the dark yeah they, that's not yeah again they could they could certainly fix some of those things yeah yeah it's uh it's really interesting they did a lot of things and techniques and stuff on this movie that that they basically and, and then what you just said there about the about the filming and the Kodak and all that, I you know I guess they used a huge amount of film too. I mean just just truck truckloads of it literally because it was such large size film. Yeah. But you know they you know they, <laughs> I, I I guess because of what what I read is too it was it was such a pain to do it that way that they never basically did it again on any other movie. You know yeah. So, so that might have been why we <laughs> didn't see another Tron movie for quite a while. Until yeah, then. perhaps. Although you know, they got to the point with 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 green screens and, and, and other techniques with with films that that certainly there's other ways to do it. Obviously, we saw that, and they didn't do that technique in Tron Legacy, and and they certainly you know did a pretty uh, spectacular, at least visually too. And I, I mean, I enjoyed that movie, but they, you know, they you can you can do it differently. But yeah, it's uh, yeah. It's pretty cool, yeah. though. I mean, it, it's just it's just really neat to me uh, that they, you know, it's it's not just guys like on the typical, uh, like I know Babylon 5 did this a lot. They did a lot of stuff on blue and green screen, and even TNG did it, you know, and, and, and a lot of people that are into this kind of stuff are, are aware of that. And you'll even see some um, occasionally, and I, maybe I can find some, or I don't know if you find any, Jeff, shoot them over to me, and I'll... Maybe post them up with the podcast notes, but I'd be interested to see some behind-the-scenes pictures of when they were doing some of that. Because we've all seen it where there's guys standing on a green screen stage or blue screen. and uh, But I'd like to see some of those behind-the-scenes of them actually doing some of the filming for that. Yeah, I think it'd be really interesting because this is probably one of those first movies which really kind of, you know, like they did it against a black background. But, you know, one of these ones where a lot of that world was put in after the fact. This yes. is probably one of the first first ones which probably really did a lot of that okay i'm gonna go we're gonna split off now and and talk um or i'm gonna get back to the movie we just wanted to slide that in now and and try to intersperse in some of the background info throughout uh the cast 
But next up, I want to play this clip. Um, this is when Tron meets up with uh, this Dumont character who's kind of, uh, I don't know, I, I call him kind of the Yoda of Tron a, a little bit. I mean, he, he's this sort of gatekeeper character. I don't know what he was supposed to really be in the Tron movie. He's in this weird kind of suit. <laughs> he looks like a yeah. sphinx or something kind of sitting up there. I don't know. What did, what did you get out of that? Of, of him? Well, like say he was called a, what was it? He was called a tower guardian. Tower guardian. Okay. Yeah. Like you, like you were saying, he was kind of viewed as a religious figure because he, he was there to kind of protect or, or, um, you know, facilitate, um, these IO towers, which allowed the programs to interface with their users. So that's oh, where that's right. So he had yeah. he was sort of like yeah. the the access point for that, yeah. right? To so maybe it. he would yeah. be viewed somewhat like a priest or a pastor or, or some sort of relig religious figure yeah. due to his ability to uh, to help with uh, to talk to the actual users. Ah, oh, you know. All right, well, I'll play that clip for you, and then I'll be back in a minute. Oh. Dumont! I can't stand all this commotion. What do you want? I've come to communicate with my user. Difficult proposition. Difficult proposition at best. Why, I could be derezzed just for letting you in here. They hate this tower. They'd close it down if they dared. They keep me around just in case one of them wants to deal with the other world once in a while. Dumont! My user has information that could, well, could make this free system again. <laughs> no, really. Well, you'd have programs lined up just to use this place. And no MCP looking over your shoulder. When you've been in the system as long as I have, you hear many promises, many reassurances, many brave plans. Please, Dumont. The guards are coming. There they are, with the Guardian. All right, Yuri. All right. Who is your user program? Alan One. He calls me. May I pass? All that is visible must grow beyond itself and extend into the realm of the invisible. You may pass, my friend. Yeah, so we have, uh, you know... I always thought he was kind of like the Wizard of Oz, that guy a little bit, you know, the uh, the Barnard Hughes character, and uh, you know he's uh, he allows uh, Tron to pass to talk to Alan, and then you have in the movie where Tron uses his disc to get you know Alan uploads some kind of something into it to destroy the yeah MCP. Some, something to help him destroy little virus or something little malware I don't know. Uh, something to to work work around the MCP. I thought it was kind of interesting too. He had to get in touch with his user Alan One, so it's kind of like a you know Alan's uh, login ID. Would yeah, be Alan exactly. So he, <laughs> it would have been funny if it was like you know, uh, you know, instead of Alan One, something really basic like that. It would have been like you know, uh, Trek lover or you know, geeky guy number eighty nine or you know what the kind of usernames people have these days. But yeah, you know, this, someone's the, like Twitter address or something. Yeah, the, like that. back in those days, we were pretty pretty tame about that and you know a lot of it had to do with you didn't have to come up with some weird unique thing because there's about eight million alan ones out there you know so uh but yeah that's a good point you know he's, he's yeah. not just well alan. it reminds me because i work at a computer company and like say i think 
my my accounts i have a few accounts on some systems and it's just basically my name in one so it's kind of yeah so you you every time you log in like that you think of tron yeah yeah i think of tron and like the program's going oh i gotta gotta touch with jeff one or something like that yeah that's great that's great but uh but anyway the uh so then you know they tron tron gets through to there he gets the thing that you know to take out the mcp and it's a little bit of a it's a little bit like the uh death star run in in star wars a bit where Okay, you got to throw your little disc in there right at the right moment, and then you know, and then it'll get you know the MCP will be taken out to a degree, and, and that's that's the way it works, I guess. And um, yeah, exactly. It was like you say, you know, there's there's going to be a little break in the you know the protective uh, there's shields or something like that, and he'd be able to get his disc in there, and yeah, I guess the information on that disc would allow allow for the the MCP to be kind of overwritten, yes, or whatever. Yeah. So the, it, the thing I was, you know, I, I didn't talk about it. I didn't, we, either of us haven't mentioned there very much, but some of this movie I, I found, and I, you know, the fact that this, um, Liceberg guy, you know, that he had a Liceberger, uh, that he had, uh, been inspired by video games. There's, there's a lot of things in this movie that lend themselves as basically a video game, you know, a little, here's a little video game light cycle thing. Here's a little video game, uh, piece of taking out the MCP. So it's almost like it's designed, uh, you know, and they did obviously create a video game and uh, multiple video games, I believe, after, you know, this game, this, um, sorry, the movie came out. So Oh, I, yeah, I, those are popular, too. I remember the Tron video games are always one of the most oh, popular yeah, ones. Oh, yeah, yeah, especially that one. Yeah, I remember even playing it where, you know, you, you, you start out and you got to, okay, the first sequence was, you know, you know, fighting on the light cycles and the next one was shooting this little thing at a, you know whatever i don't remember all the different i think there's those spiders oh right the it. spiders which there are no spiders in this movie at least but oh there's one little shot of the spiders oh is they're, there okay yeah they're flying over the the solar sailor and they go oh we gotta be careful of the the spiders and oh they just show yeah these spiders you're right all. it's really quick though it's yeah. yeah it's yeah you're right you're right uh but um but yeah, I mean, it's almost designed, you know, kind of a little built-in, uh, built-in marketing, you know, to to do that. But I, you know, that's, you know, obviously it's set in a computer game world, so uh, that's yeah. Wasn't be... the end of the game you had to take down the MCP just like Tron by throwing your disc in? Yes, into I, it? I think so. So uh, yeah, that was uh, that that was a big part of it. So the um, I'm going to skip a little bit. We're, I'm going to try to try to wrap this up here, at least with the clips, and then we can we can talk uh, a little bit more about the movie and maybe a little more about legacy. But uh, uh, I had a couple other clips. I, I'm going to skip to. I think there's a, a clip that I've got labeled as Tron uh, fighting Sark, and uh, there, there's a. I guess the first part of that little battle is, is with Flynn and Sark, right? And yeah. Uh, and then the, uh, if I remember right, it's it, Flynn basically takes almost Sark out, and then the MCP basically gives him like his power, and he becomes this sort of like giant Sark, right? Yeah, and then basically Flynn has to kind of, or Tron has to run kind of interference, I think, and yeah, so, yeah, so, exactly. Uh, Flynn, so yeah, so then Tron has to fight the kind of big guy a little bit, and and that's what this clip is, and I'll play that, and then I'll be right back. Presence. Another warrior is on the mesa. We're getting closer. Oh, 
I don't know how you survived, slave. It doesn't matter. Prepare to terminate. <laughs> seek communication with each other or your superfluous users. You will each be part of me, and together we will be complete. You should have joined me! We'd have made a great team! You're very persistent, Tron! I'm also better than you! So yeah, then uh, then he becomes giant Sark, and they go at it like I was saying earlier. And then I guess what happens at that point is Flynn sort of jumps into the MCP. Basically, is, is that is that the yeah? The way it I think works? he jumps into the MCP, which then um, that allows, I think allows the, Tron the, to, to. Well, it's sort of I guess I guess Flynn because of his knowledge of the of the programs involved is the idea is he, he's able to when he jumps in there able to lower like the that little rotating shield thing or whatever that's yeah. around the MCP right the protection and you know in in a way i guess you could look at it as like he sort of hacks hacks the uh, the shield or the protection of the MCP out from the inside and then yeah. then Tron yeah Tron then reprogram, gets to yeah reprogram the MCP maybe yeah or at least his his defenses you know yeah. and and then uh, and then that's when Tron gets to toss his little disc in there that Alan one you know changed and uh or, or added to and and then that's then the mcp you know pretty much spin spin spins and <laughs> blows up or burns out or whatever it's gone and uh and that's i've got one last clip let me just play this and then and then we'll uh we'll come back with some other uh comments and some final uh final words on this but this uh clip i just have labeled tron celebrates and i guess this is just afterwards i think when uh tron and yori uh are talking about after he's taken out the MCP and, and, and Flynn has, you know, jumped in there and and then the uh, and then that's how it kind of wraps it up. We did it. Nice. We thought you were dead. <laughs> Where's Flint? It was incredible. He threw himself into the beam and distracted the MCP just long enough for you to get the disc in. He saved us. He really did it. Video warriors, look at the I.O. towers. Every tower is lighting up.
Yeah, so all those little towers, they, they follow that color color scheme thing again. And uh, they're changing, uh, I guess, from the red-orange color to the blue, right? Showing yeah, that the, the red M- to blue. Yeah, showing that the MCP is gone and doesn't have control anymore. I, I was talking to you earlier, I think maybe before we started to record even, but how they, I always thought that, or one of the things I thought when it, the color scheme thing was a lot like Star Wars and the lightsaber deal where... You know, the bad guys got the red lightsabers and the good guys have the blue and the green ones, you know, for the most part. So Yeah, exactly. That's a, something you can kind of pick up on that. So it's kind of cool. Maybe it's, a, I guess, maybe from a real-world standpoint, it was all that Group 7 access getting <laughs> given, back to the, given back to everyone. <laughs> yes, you've all got Group 7 is back up and now you can do your programs and all that, yeah. Get now back you, to work. <laughs> get back to work, you users. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, so that's it basically, uh, and uh, that wraps up uh, the Tron movie. What what you see at the very end, and I had a clip, but it's not really even worth playing that much. It's uh, you see Flynn come to the rooftop of Encom in a helicopter, and he's basically the boss now. And and uh, Alan and uh, the girl, what's your name again in the real world? Uh, Doctor Laura. <laughs> they hardly ever call her by name in the real world. It seems like maybe once Laura. Anyway. Um, Dr. Laura Baines. Yes, Dr. Laura Baines. Uh, But Laura and and Alan are on the rooftop there and they say, you know, you know, smile for the boss. And then Flynn pops out and, you know, and he's, uh, you know, says greetings programs or something like that. I think he says that to him. Yeah. Uh, So that and then that's that wraps up the movie. They just kind of pan off to a sunset kind of a thing. And then the, uh, you know, they don't even give you any little tag of what's going on in the computer world at this point, except for what you hear and see there with uh, Dumont saying all the little, the IO towers are all changing back and everything. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's cool and it's, you know, the, w- one other little thing about this movie that I found that I I hadn't really recalled, very, but it's a pretty short movie. It's only like ninety seven minutes long, you know, in total. So it's it, there's a lot that happens in that in that time frame, you know. I, they certainly you said you know you had that deleted scene there of of uh, Yori and Tron, but I don't know how many other little clips they cut out but it's it's pretty tight there's not really a lot of just extra stuff in it i think as well too maybe they had to keep it tight because uh due to all the um, you know animation and computer graphics and all that was probably a technically challenging movie and expensive movie to make so i guess if they're going to want to work on a scene they're going to want to make sure that that scene related to the movie and the story and was moved it along so it probably why it was probably shorter than then you would think it's probably just cost as well or just time yeah. to, to work on and, more and scenes. And you don't even, you know, they don't even do anything like where you see Flynn walking in on on uh, on uh, Dillinger in his office and say, give me my cool, comp- my cool desk <laughs> and you're out and have him taken away in handcuffs or anything like that for stealing all his, all his video games. Uh, you yeah, know, that they would be nice to see that, you know, to get a little... Uh, a little revenge. Uh, a little revenge. Yeah. But... I guess apparently that desk, I didn't mention it before, but I think I was reading too that that desk actually ended up in the Tron Legacy movie as kind of the boardroom desk at the start of the movie. Oh, okay. All right. I'll have to, I, I, I'm now I'm really, I'm really geeked and, and, uh, and, and into wanting to watch Tron Legacy now in the next few days, just cause I, you know, we've been talking about this one and, and I just watched this one. So now I want to kind of run off and watch that one again. And, uh, and speaking of that, of course, Tron Legacy was out in uh, just this past holiday season. Did very well, and uh, they've they've been talking about another one. I, I've been hearing. I don't think there's anything official yet that I know of. Do you know of anything official, Jeff? 
But, no, uh, I haven't heard anything either. I've just heard uh, what you've heard, Rico, that there's discussions that they want to do another. Yeah, I, it's certainly they, they have that, uh, you know, it's it's pretty open, certainly, to do it. The, the Tron Legacy was, was very successful. I mean, it was pretty big budget. You know, it was like a $170 million movie, still, and it made more than like $400 million. And in that, that's not even counting all the DVD Blu-ray sales. I don't think that's just that's just box office. So it did obviously very well. And, you know, I, I thought it was a, a, a good movie and, and really kind of quite a bit different than the first one. And uh, but but good on its own. You know, you didn't really need to know a lot about what happened in Tron, although I think it helps. Yeah, I think it helps to know a little bit about what happened in the original one. But I don't think um, I don't think it was overly necessary because like I say a lot of you know like when Tron came out in 1982 and when Tron Legacy came out in uh, 2010 that's 28 years uh, in between so like you know the generation that they're probably you know that's a generation or two of people who really um, you know didn't maybe see the the original Tron movie possibly like I know when I saw Tron Legacy I remember I went to see it at a midnight showing and I was standing in a line, and, and most of the people waiting in line to see the movie were wouldn't have even been born in eight nineteen eighty two. Yeah, so. yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, and uh, I think they did a good job, you know, with doing it that way, you know. And it was really cool to do the Jeff Bridges stuff, making him younger. That was kind of a neat little, uh, uh, you know, way to, way to tie them together. And you know, I I like the fact that it it wasn't like they tried to make it too much connected and too much like the first one. But it still has sort of some themes and stuff that's uh, that's kind of uh, kind of connected. Uh, I'm reading one thing real quick while you were talking. I, I, I clicked on the the Tron Legacy in Wikipedia. According to this, let's see, on in in April, uh, just like last month or so, April 2011, uh, director Joseph Kozinski talked about the sequel of to Tron Legacy, saying we're working on the story right now. Once we get a script, we're all happy with. We'll take it to the powers to be and see if we can get back it on. To see, he says to see if we can get back to the grid. <laughs> I think we will pick up where Tron Legacy left off. Uh, spoiler alert: If you haven't watched that one yet, Cora uh, in the real world and what that means and possibilities of opening the door for a next chapter. Da 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 da. So it looks like they're just sort of uh, they they don't have an official like yes we're definitely going to do a another uh, movie, but it's pretty likely it look it's looking like and as long as they get a story that they're um, that they're happy about. So one one other related Tron thing, though, they are doing this animated series called Tron Uprising uh, that's going to premiere uh, sometime, I guess, not until 2012, I'm hearing, on, on the Disney XD network. So and, and there's a little bit of stuff, a little bit of pre-production stuff out there on that. And they've got some uh, pretty big name voices to do some uh, some of the voices for that. Bruce Boxleitner is going to be back, and Elijah Wood, Mandy Moore, Paul Rubens, uh, Lance Henriksen. Uh, you know, some some pretty good names for for that. So that should be pretty cool. Yeah, I saw the the video. I think it was uh, posted. Someone posted that on the forum. I think it looks good. Like I say, it looks really exciting. Yeah, yeah, I think I, so. I think there's so much to to this world. Like say, it's kind of similar to like when you look at like Star Trek or Star Wars. There's so much more to the to the universes than than what we see in the the programs or the movies. I think that's kind of the same with uh, Tron. There's just I think there's so much they can do with this. Um, so so many places they can take it. So you know, having a you know animated show, it, it sort of seems to fit. Oh, definitely. Yeah, they you know with just a um, 
probably all computer animation, but you know, it certainly fits this this to a you know, you couldn't fit it much better. I mean, it's basically uh, a series of uh, you know, set probably pretty much in the computer world. So yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be and good. so big that yeah. they don't even need to really tie themselves to like the main characters either. They can probably create their own characters and have their sure. own adventures. Yeah, yeah, that's. Uh, it's uh, what I'm reading here a bit more on this uh, this animated series. It looks like they say uh, some of the writers for Tron Legacy are actually working on it, and they say it's only going to be right now maybe a ten part mini series, and it's supposed to tell the story of what happened uh, in the grid between the movies. You know, which I was I talked about a little bit during our our, our conversation on you know to tie tie those together maybe a little bit more. So, uh, so that, that'll be interesting. Yeah. And, uh, I'm looking forward to that too. So anything else that you wanted to pass on about Tron, except if, you know, telling everyone, go watch it if you haven't watched it, or even if you have even if you watched it like 20 years ago, go, 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 go give it another look. Um, yeah, at least I, I think you, I think it deserves a look like say, I think it was one of those movies when it originally came out, it was so different that, uh, some people didn't really know what to make of it. So, you know, it got mixed reviews. I think, you know, some people thought it was really great. Other people thought that it was kind of a bit out there, but yeah, the reviews were of, a little, a little yeah. rough. The official movie reviewers, I read a few of those. I mean, Roger Ebert, for example, actually was one of the few seemed like that was kind of defending it, said it was pretty groundbreaking and, and liked it quite a bit yeah like say I, I usually find just personally i usually find that for most things that roger ebert reviews i'm usually pretty in line with it so usually if i'm going to read a movie review i'll read one of his because he seems to have similar similar fairly. likes as you yeah yeah I, f- I find the same thing yeah pretty much there's a few things he he had you know we we've uh, not both liked or whatever but yeah i i agree with that too um and i guess he, the other thing i would Maybe want to just mention too is the um, the Tron soundtrack. Just a quick note on oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. definitely slip some of that in um, yeah. during the the uh, the intro and the, and the exit of this podcast, and maybe even a piece in the middle. But yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, it was um, it was done by a, a lady named Wendy Carlos who had um, who had done some work on some uh, other shows. I think uh, it looked like she had worked on uh, A Clockwork Orange and The Shining, and it was a lot of um, synthesizer based. Music, but they also had uh, some orchestra pieces as well too. Um, so it, it was it was a really interesting um, soundtrack. Oh yeah, very, I agree. There's uh, yeah. it it's very very it fits it very well. It fits the movie well. I find yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then also too, there was a couple songs thrown in by a band called Journey, which was really popular uh, at the time back in the uh, the early eighties. Yes, um, definitely. I lo- cool I love Journey. <laughs> Yeah, I do. I guess apparently just reading All I on listen the is XM. Wiki. What's that? Yeah. Sorry. Reading on the wiki here, uh, I guess apparently uh, originally the songs were supposed to be done by uh, Super Tramp, but uh, oh, I guess uh, okay. that, that never happened. And then they went with Journey, which I don't know. I think I think Journey probably fits a little more. They seem yeah. a little modern, more modern at the time than maybe Super Tramp would have. Yeah. Well, they, they also, it's... Um, uh, just like the DVD, the, the 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 soundtrack for this movie, the CD of it at least was was also sort of a rarity too, isn't it? Did that ever get re-released at all? Do yeah, you... apparently, like say from what I was reading here was that uh, I guess apparently there was some sort of uh, disagreement between uh, the CBS Records and um, uh, this lady uh, Wendy Carlos, and so it was actually kind of um, held up 
um, held up or wasn't released for a long time. And then they went back and I guess the tapes were kind of destroyed. So it took a little bit of a effort to get it out there. And then I guess it oh, was Oh, that's right. I'd read that. Yeah, yeah. that they, yeah. they, they had degraded or whatever the original, yeah. you know, good old magnetic tape. Yeah. yeah. So I have one here. I think, I think it was real originally released on CBS records and I've got one which was released on looks like Disney records. So it's one of those cool ones. If you kind of like the music for this, um, and it's probably worth kind of um, you know looking looking for this uh, this CD because it's yeah, it's just kind of cool to kind of throw it into your MP3 player or whatever and listen to it uh, you know because it's just some interesting different type music. Well, I'm trying to recall too. Uh, in the year 19, you know, in in the 1982 era or so, I mean, LPs, you know, regular records were still pretty darn popular, right? I mean, when did CDs really take over? You know, oh, so they took in the '90s, didn't they? CDs yeah, or well, or either that or late '80s, I would say. I mean, I, you know, I don't know exactly, and it all depends on how how soon you were one of those people that jumped over and and started. But I, I'm, you know, I know I'm thinking that the you know soundtrack was probably out on LP too. I might even have an LP of it around here somewhere. <laughs> I've got I've got quite a few old, you know, that I've that are kind of stashed away that I never pull out anymore, but. Uh, but yeah, so that you know, that was probably part of the issue too. That it was years later, probably maybe a few years at least before the CD. Because the, 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 does your CD or do you know when you got that one that you've got? Oh, I've Is there a date on it? For, uh, it looks like it. This one it says two thousand and one. This one was oh, printed. Oh, okay, in. all right. So yeah, um, so so there may have been another previous one too, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it's it, it's it's interesting and. Uh, but yeah, the music is good. I like the music for Tron Legacy as well too. Uh, I thought that was pretty pretty interesting stuff, and uh, yeah, it's great. And like you said, I, I hope that this continues. I hope they do another movie, and the animated series is is a success. I think it's it's cool. You know, there was a long a long lag obviously between the first Tron and Tron Legacy, and I know for quite a few years, you know, it may have been like ten years even where they were trying. They kept talking about, hey, we're going to do a Tron sequel. We're going to do a Tron sequel, and then. You know, I think we all got kind of like, uh, boy, it's never going to happen because you kept hearing about it and nothing was happening. And then, it, and then it finally did, and it was pretty good. Yeah, exactly. Like I say, it was one of those ones that, like like you say, you know, being that both of us had seen the original movie that, uh, you know, the, the talk about it must have went on for like 10, 10 years at least to talk of a sequel. So Yeah, and I think, you know, the... Uh, one of the things I, I found about, you know, Legacy as well, and we were talking about this, is that um, my son and I went to see it, to my older son, and he had never seen, I don't, I'm, I'm pretty sure, I think he may have watched it finally now, but he had never seen the original Tron. and But he still enjoyed enjoyed that movie. So, you know, again, I think it's, it's, it's you know, definitely you should still be watching the original Tron sometime, especially if you enjoyed it, the, the you know, legacy film. But it, it just shows they did a pretty good job of being able to make a movie without really counting on you knowing too much about the first one. So Yeah, I guess like say after, you know, what they did with uh, Star Trek a couple of years ago, kind of reintroducing the that yes. movie to, to yeah. people who hadn't seen the originals is kind of you know, Tron's still in the same in universe, I guess, in a sense, but you know, they they were able to do it in a sense that you didn't have to see the Yeah, original. a completely unrelated uh topic, but it popped into my head, so uh uh, I'll, I'll mention it, but you know that this is what seems to be what they do a little bit over, over the years, and I and I think part of it has to do with people that grew up on this stuff. You know, Jeff, like you and I, they eventually then become in positions in Hollywood. You know, they start to work their way 
you know, to be producers and directors and writers. And they say, hey, you know what, boy, when I was growing up, I loved Tron. Let's make a sequel to that. You know what I mean? So, yeah, exactly. So, and the, what I was trying to get, you know, or what I was going to say is, um, you know, there's always, people have talked for a while a little bit about, like you said, Trek, they're, they're doing it with Star Trek right now. Uh, you know, we're going to get another movie in a year plus or something like that. But uh, depending on when they make up their mind <laughs> and start actually working on it. But uh, the other one, the other big franchise that I keep always hearing, oh, what if they go back and, you know, reboot this or remake this is Star Wars. Do you think that'll ever happen? This is a completely off off subject topic, but do you think they'll ever do that? Do you think, you know, will George Lucas have to have died maybe before? I hate to say stuff like that, but the, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've always heard them say, what if they went back and made like a new hope with a whole new cast and new effects and all this kind of stuff? Uh, it's tough to say, like say, you know, Considering that what you know, like what they did with Star Trek and with with other yeah. movies or franchises, you, you could never say never. I mm-hmm. guess you know it's it's possible. Like say George's, you know, kind of played around so much with the uh, with the original series. You know, like he's updated it True. quite a bit yeah. over the years. Maybe um, that's why he's done it. Maybe he's tried to do that just just to kind of keep it fresh. And, I think uh, so. I think he's you know because you, you know everyone complains about it, but you also got to look at it from a you know, audience, which is just kind of stepping into it, you know, and the movies are so well done nowadays that you're not really going to accept a, a movie, you know, with, uh, you know, the special effects or whatever, which don't really stand up yeah, to the ones today. Yeah, that's a good point. So, yeah, you're right. It's, 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 it's a bit of a double-edged sword, you know, they, they uh, you know, of, of like, okay, do you want, do you really want the original, original, original Star Wars, you know, that was, you know, it, it, it certainly doesn't have as nice a look as the prequels and, you know, they've, They've obviously not not only added effects, but they've gone back and cleaned it up a lot. So, uh, yeah, same thing with the Star Trek, the original series Star Trek yep, episodes. Yep, exactly, too. exactly. They've kind of redone those. Um, because, I'm more yeah. of like, okay, I'd love to have yeah. the original sitting there on the shelf too, if I ever want to pull it out and kind of really be nostalgic and watch it. And then, you know, I I don't mind the updates too as well. Now, I don't yeah. really, I'm not too keen on this whole update things in 3D idea, but that that could turn into a whole other hour for the show. So. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, like say basically, I I, I think um, you know like with a lot of these things, you got to keep that, you got to keep it fresh, and I think you have to update it uh, to keep you know the next generation of uh, people to watch it. Because the same thing with the Star Trek series, you know, oh yeah, they never updated those. Then maybe you know people nowadays they just wouldn't catch or capture the you know the you know the novelty of it, or you know they don't have any kind of ties to it, so they go, well, you know. That stuff looks so fake. Why would I want to watch that when I can yeah. watch some other and, show, which looks and so it's much certainly, better? certainly, you know, one of the things, and we then we'll wrap it up, Jeff, but just hang on uh, the the line after we, when I, we say goodbye, and I'll talk to you a little bit more. But um, but I was going to say, the you know, the I think one of the great things about it is it spurs interest in the originals. You know, I think Legacy, Star, or I almost said Star Trek Legacy, uh, Tron Legacy, you know, has definitely made people want to go back and like we're doing today and, and revisit, even if you've seen it or maybe you haven't seen it, to go back and watch the original Tron. So uh, exactly. So that's uh, that's always a good thing. I like that. It's, it certainly you know keeps it fresh and brings in new new fans to the uh, to the franchise. So I just want to say a big thanks, Jeff. Thanks so much for joining me today. This was a, a, a lot of fun. I, I think it was a great show and. Uh, I hope everyone else uh, listening is enjoying it or has enjoyed it, and and uh, thanks for taking some time out of uh, of your weekend for uh, for talking to everyone. 
Oh, no problem. Uh, thanks for uh, having me on the show. Yeah, it's, well, a, it's a real honor, Rico, to actually get to be able to <laughs> don't use that guest host now. with you. So. Oh, I'm blushing. Uh, yeah, but anyway, uh, I'm, I'm so glad, you know, you're definitely, uh, definitely always welcome on the show. We're going to have to do another joint show like this again. I, it was great, and, and I want to do another one sometime. So, so anytime, you know, write down some ideas and shoot me an email, and maybe in a, in a few months we'll do something else, tackle another, another movie of ours that we like a lot and, or, or a TV show or something. Okay, sure. You know, yeah, like I say, it was, this is a lot of fun. So and hey, I, definitely tell us, tell everyone right now too, while you're on here, tell them uh, you do your own shows too. So why don't you, get, you know, put some plugs in and, and tell everyone else what what Jeff does when he's not uh, uh, doing toy shows or or, or haunting uh, Toys R Us or whatever, and uh, the podcast you work on. Okay, uh, just to uh, plug a few things. Uh, first off. Um, me and uh, my co-host um, Jason uh, do a, a podcast on auto racing, which we, we do on uh, Formula One and IndyCar. So uh, you can check that over at uh, champpodcast.com. Uh, we'll probably have one up sometime uh, next week covering the last two Formula One races and the Indy 500, which happens tomorrow. And then also I do a collecting podcast. Um, it's an enhanced podcast where I just cover some uh, collectibles that I review. I did one for uh, last month um, – I did a review on uh, the Master Replica's Boba Fett helmet. Um, so you can go and check that out if you want. Um, it's at uh, www.jedijeff.ca. Um, probably uh, next few days I'll start working on uh, the next one, which will probably be a, a Star Trek-based uh, review. So uh, you can go check that one out. And then I also have a um, another site that I operate called uh, Pop-Off Podcasts, which is just basically the the host um, site or, or the kind of the parent site for for uh, champ podcast and for uh, jedi jeff's basement um which is my collectible reviews one and then also my uh, co-host jason he's going to have a, a podcast there at some point in time so um, you can go and check out that as well excellent excellent yeah so uh so jeff is well versed in the podcasting world he's he's been bitten by the bugs and uh <laughs> it's uh it's 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 uh it's a lot of fun you know it's great yeah, too it's a you lot know. of fun it you is. do a it's great a, job, Rico. It's okay. it's a tough tough to do, and like I say, I just amazed at how fast you can turn these things out. <laughs> well, it, it's you know sometimes I you know there, there are days and weeks and stuff where where I think to myself you know maybe it'd be better to do fewer but but go into really a lot more depth and then you know and and like today's is definitely one of those examples of that. I, I love to do these kind of shows, but it's you know I, I I also like to just you know get out there and talk about whatever's kind of currently going on too. So yeah, it's it's a lot of fun and it's uh practice makes perfect, right, Jeff? So it's uh you know the more you do it, the quicker and the easier, but it still takes a lot of time. Yeah, you gotta you definitely and we always tell people this. I always tell them, and I I've heard you say it too. The you know, if you ever want to do this kind of thing, definitely pick something in a subject that you, you really enjoy and love because you won't be doing it too long if you're talking about, you know, something that you don't really care about. Because exactly. we're not in it we're not in it for the money, that's for sure. It's not Yeah, there's no money to be made in it. No. <laughs> Although some people have kind of turned it into that a little bit, but th yeah. that's a rarity and uh you know, I, I I almost never really wanted to go that way just because I want to keep it more of a you know, a fan kind of a thing uh, to a degree, but Hey, you know, Paramount, if you want to, you know, hire me, that's okay too. We, we could work something out. So, but anyway, Jeff, thanks again so much. Just hang on the line and, uh, just say goodbye to everyone in uh, the, the Treks in sci-fi land. Oh, next week I will be covering the uh, TOS episode, the return of the archons and then the rest of the upcoming schedule you can find on the website. So that's all over at treksinsci-fi.com. 
And uh, thanks to Jedi Jeff uh, again today for covering Tron with me. Oh, thank you again for having me, uh, Rico. Looking forward to next week's one, uh, Festivus. So, yes, uh, Festivus. <laughs> yeah, so thanks again for having me. No problem, Jeff. Take care. And uh, everyone, uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.
podcast production.